If you have your Bibles, open it to Acts chapter 7. And if you would like a Bible, raise your hand and someone will get one to you. There's a hand over here. There's a couple over there. Hold your hands up and they'll get it to you. We've got one person dashing around. we got now two people. Feels like the price is right or something. Okay. Keep your hands up and they'll get a Bible to you. And we're in Acts chapter 7. And just to recap, because we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 7, we're going to be starting at the end in verse 57. But this story begins actually in chapter 6 as we're focused on a man named Stephen. Stephen was raised up to be an overseer and help out with the church as it was starting. They needed to get some people to help out with the difficulty that they were going through. And we went through this in depth again on the last two Thursday nights. But Stephen was someone who elevated into this position and then is being used. And as he is being used and ministering to people, he comes under the scrutiny of the religious people at that time, the Sanhedrin. And they start questioning him. And in chapter 6, it says that they start accusing him falsely saying he said things that he really didn't say, putting words in his mouth that they might find a reason to accuse him because they didn't like him getting all the attention. And he gives us an incredible discourse through chapter 7 explaining what it is that he is about, what it is actually that Jesus is about. And finally, as he's coming to the end of his talk with them, he's exposing their hypocrisy. They were talking about, he, he talked, spoke against the temple and this place and against the law and Moses, our traditions. And through his talk, he explains that the place doesn't matter. God appeared to Abraham when he was in Babylon. He was with Joseph when he was in Egypt. He appeared to Moses in Midian, in the desert, not in this holy place. That the place isn't what's important, it is the relationship with God. And that just as they rejected Moses when he went there the first time to try and help out, and they said, who are you? Are you going to kill me like you did that Egyptian? He said, you too have rejected the one who came in Moses' place, Jesus. And that's where we're picking up this story. So, Throughout this story, he's talking, and all of a sudden you could see that, hey, he's talking about us. Somewhere that clicks in them. They start understanding he's talking and dealing with us. Just as we, as the, our forefathers rejected the prophets, he's talking about us rejecting the Messiah, Jesus. And so we pick up in verse 57, just at the very end of chapter 7. And it says, at this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. 
There are a couple of firsts that are taking place here. This is the first martyr of the church. This is the first person who gave his life for his faith. It's also the first time we see the name Saul, which we will later come to know as Paul, the great apostle, the one who wrote three quarters of the New Testament. So two firsts that are pretty poignant here that take place. One of the things that's interesting here is seeing Stephen's reaction. Have you ever seen those cans that say contents under pressure, be careful, harmful, you know, keep away from extreme heat? Well, they should not put those things on those cans because kids see that and wonder, hmm, what will happen? At least my kids did. And so there's nothing like getting an aerosol can going to the beach and throwing it in the fire and, you know, sneaking it in there and waiting to see when it's going to explode. Or maybe you, you've put dry ice in a, you know, bottle of water and you've put the time. I'm giving your kids way too many ideas. You know, Kareen used to do all these things, you know. <laughs> Contents under pressure. And, and if the pressure gets too much, it explodes. Kids would get those little ketchup packs. You ever see those? And they step on them so they get splatter. Again, here I go. Okay, my, my childhood is coming back. And we see under pressure how people really behave, don't we? When things start coming down, the true colors start to show. And a lot of times under a situation, we might say, I don't know what got into me. You know, I guess I was tired. I guess I was overwhelmed. I was stressed out. I don't know what got into me. The truth isn't really that something got into you. It's that something leaked out. It was in you, and then you just got weak, and you couldn't hold it or hide it anymore, and that came out of you. That was always there. It's just now everyone can see it. One time my brother was driving, and he saw someone who went to the church that he goes to. And he goes, oh, hey, there's so-and-so. And so he honked to get his attention. And he honked to get his attention. The guy flipped him off. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> and then he looked over and he saw him and it's like, oh, you know, uh, what was I thinking? The guy just wanted to say hi and, yeah, hi back, you know. <laughs> and, I mean, and we've all experienced that, maybe not that, but... We've all experienced things like that, where we are not in our best form. You know, I've I've experienced some, some good and bad moments growing up. I've had some really good husband moments, and then I've had some bad husband moments. You don't need to talk to my wife later about them. Just take it from me. And I've had some good father moments, good dad moments, but I've had some bad other moments as well. And I've even had good human moments and bad human moments. We, we have this where every now and then what comes out of us just isn't so good. And it's really under the time of pressure that we see what's really in us. And here we come to a place where Stephen is under life's pressure. The Sanhedrin was the equivalent to the Supreme Court. These people had a lot of power in what would happen to his life. 
And in chapter 6, we saw that they made false accusations against him. So they lied about him in order that they might bring accusation to him. And now they're physically abusing, going to kill him. This is an opportunity for Stephen, if he's going to have a bad moment, this would be a good time. I mean, he's it was being his rights at this point to say, you know what, enough. You guys are a bunch of liars and, and start blasting them, whatever. If he was going to have a bad moment, this would be an opportune time. But we don't see that. In fact, when he has the opportunity to be at his worst, we see him at the, his best, but we see those who are the religious leaders who should be at their best, we see them at their worst. And as he starts to see this, it doesn't only reveal Stephen's heart, but it exposes their heart as well. And we see that he doesn't lash out against them. Instead, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And that was his last words. Your last words. I was thinking about, what, what, how do you know what your last words are going to be? I heard, read one thing and said, whenever I'm feeling low, I, I think of my uncle's last words and it makes me smile. It's a truck! <laughs> that was it. <clears throat> And I looked up a few other last words, some things that people had spoken up. Alexander the Great, his last words were weeping at the age of 33 and said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Pancho Villa, Mexican revolutionary, said, don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. There was a, a Chinese communist who had delivered a lot of Christians to their execution during the time of the Cultural Revolution. And he went to a missionary or a pastor that was there, and he said, I've seen many of you Christians die, and you died differently. What is your secret? When you die, those last words, your, your life at the pressure and it ends, what are your last words? And Stephen's last words weren't actually his own. Because Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We've heard that before. We saw that in Luke. And Jesus uttered those words. And I wonder, how did Stephen know? He probably heard of these things. Remember, he's close to the proximity of when the death and resurrection of Jesus took place. He might even have been there. We don't know. But... His last words are actually Jesus' last words. And so when he is being crushed, when he is being squeezed by the pressure of life, what he utters are Jesus' last words. Well, let's, let's look at that a little bit. Turn to Luke chapter 23. Turn left. You're going to go past Gospel of John. At the end of Luke, chapter 23, 
Sorry, usually I have a PowerPoint that enable my computer crashed, so I got to get it fixed. Luke chapter 23, and we're going to start at verse 27 and read down. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that will never bore or the breasts that will never nurse. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us and on the hills, cover us. For if men do these things, When the tree is green, what will they do when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. Here we see the account of Jesus. His last words were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he said, it is finished, we see in another gospel. When Jesus was at the end of his life, under pressure, we see, first of all, he's concerned for others. As they're crying for him, says, don't cry for me, cry for yourself. If you're doing this to me, what will later happen to you? In other words, if you think this is bad, what's going to be the consequences of what is taking place now? It will be even worse. And then it says, they hung him between two thieves. And as he's there, he cries out again, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he's very general. I mean, I think I would have been a little more specific. I I would have said, Father, forgive her, because she's crying for me. Don't forgive him. He's mocking me. Oh, you can forgive him. He carried the cross for me, so go ahead and forgive him. But Father, do not forgive them. Those are the ones who put me here. I mean, I, I, that's how I would be thinking. <laughs> but we don't see that. We see, forgive them. That when God is being 
crushed, what comes out of him is forgiveness. Reminds me of Jesus' words in John 3, verse 17, where he said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And so when Jesus is being pressured and he's being crushed, what comes out of his life is what his purpose was. Forgive. Forgiveness. And, and so many times we, we think that it's not that way, that God is here to judge us, that we, he's here to, to hammer us and he's here to nail us, but we see that when he's being pressured, what comes out of him isn't judgment. God's going to get you for this. What comes out of him is forgive them. Forgive them. When God is being crushed, his heart cries out, forgive. That's what he desires. That's the last things that are on his heart and mind are concerned for others and forgiveness. And, and then we see these two thieves probably on equal distances of him, but worlds apart. I mean, just worlds apart. One of them, and you got to think, what's going on in this guy's head? That he would say, yeah, if you're the Christ, get down from here and take us too. I mean, come on, how you're dying in this, you've got to mock someone? But you know, you've seen this in people. As people get to that place in their life, and even as we get older, it seems like C.S. Lewis said this, you just become more of what you really are. You ever see someone who, who's just very bitter in their old age? Nothing makes them happen. They just kind of... How are you feeling? Not very good today. Just, it's like, man, just... It's, you know, if you look back at their life, they are probably always like that. They just got more and more and more and more like that. So at the end of their life, they're... Think if they live that way for eternity, what they will be like. It would be hell. And then there are other people that they get older and they're just sweet. How you doing? Oh, look at you. Pinch your cheeks. Uh, thank you. They're just, they exhume this thing because in their life they, they just continue in that way. Well, what is it in this guy at the end of his life, he has to mock Jesus. Some people are just like that. And then the other thief says, what's wrong with you? Don't you fear God? We deserve this. He doesn't. And, and we see sometimes we expect that Jesus is in between good and evil. You know, and he's trying to get the evil people with the good people. But really what we're seeing is Jesus is between Sin and cynicism. And he's there between both. And so many times, you know, what, what keeps us from God is cynicism. I don't believe that. It's kind of interesting that some people have a hard time believing that Jesus could forgive this 
thief at the last moment. How could that's not just? That's not fair. And then there's other people who say, how could God say anyone to hell? That's not just. That's not fair. And it's like they want their cake and they want to eat it too. And sometimes our atheism becomes convenient. We, we pull God out when we need someone to blame. Life's not going good. Well, God's just not fair. That's not, you know, I've got to blame someone for the wrong that's here, so I'll blame God. Even though I don't believe in him the rest of the time, but now I want to blame him. And what we see is Jesus is there between both and his mercy is there for both. It's really a matter of who will recognize their condition. And the other thief says, we deserve this. And then he has kind of a lot of audacity as well because he starts asking Jesus, hey, Jesus, I know you're probably occupied right now since you're being crucified like me, but could you think about me when you go to heaven? Would you think about me? Remember me. And then Jesus, instead of saying, you know, it's not a good time. He says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And he doesn't expound. He goes, well, let me find out where you're really at. Have you ever lied? Have you ever... He doesn't question the guy. He doesn't start interrogating him. Okay, now repeat after me. I, thief on the cross. <laughs> he just sees the guy's heart that cries out for him and his heart says, I want to forgive you. You want to be forgiven. It can be done. You'll see me in paradise. And he reaches out for him. In the last moments, he doesn't forget a thief on a cross. A mercy that is really overwhelming and difficult to comprehend. If you think Jesus is God in human flesh, when he is crushed, he is reaching out to those who are around him dying, who are not good, but who are lost. He says, I remember you. Now, back to Acts. Verse 58, it says, as they dragged him out and began to stone him. The witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Chapter 1, I mean, chapter 8, verse 1 says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. That word approval actually means that he was agreeing with or, or cons- he was giving it his approval in the fact that he was a part of it. He was saying, this is the right thing to do. I am in agreement with what's happening here. And it's interesting, this name is mentioned here for obvious reasons, because this is going to be the greatest conversion that the church has ever known. 
the man who was there approving, consenting to giving his verdict with this young man's death was later going to be changed. And you've got to wonder, when did Paul first encounter Jesus? We know the road to Damascus, it talks about this in chapter 8. I think it's chapter 8. But I think his first encounter with Jesus was actually here, with Stephen. When Stephen was being crushed, and out of him came the heart of God, as we saw with Jesus. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It left an imprint on this young man's life that changed the world. And because of this man Stephen's testimony and love for these people, in the last moments of his life, he is showing the mercy of God. When he is being crushed, what came out of him was Jesus. What's coming out of your life? When your life is under pressure, who are you representing? Where are you at? Are are you a person who's cynical and and criticizing? Are you a person who's asking for mercy? Which side of the cross are you on? When your life is crushed, what will be the fragrance that comes out? Stephen presented Jesus And the first time this man saw, saw Jesus, I believe, was right here through the person of Stephen as he represented him perfectly, so completely. His last words were the words of Jesus. May our lives be that. I know a lot of us are under pressure right now, financial pressure, the health issues that we talked about. There's a lot that takes place. Just this last week, I went through the situation that was strange. I was accused of not taking care of a client who wasn't my client. So, yeah, of course I didn't take care of them. They're not my client. But then I was, I was kind of got this scathing email and voicemail and just saying, I better do this or I'm out of here and they're going to. Get rid of me. I was like, it's not even my client. What's going on? And then I found out that there was another situation where a person started talking, basically lied about the situation and made me look bad again. It's like, I got nothing to do with this. And everything in me wanted to scream. Everything in me wanted to to react as if someone was honking the horn at me. You know what I'm saying? I just did not have a good attitude about this because I'm being wronged and I have paperwork to prove it. I have, you know, voicemails to prove it. I have, I have evidence on my side. And as the pressure was coming in, I was not saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. I said, Father, get them. Because I think they know what they're doing. They know better. Well, so did these people. They knew better. It's interesting. The ones who were lying about Stephen are now the ones killing him and are upset about it. 
They don't know what they're doing. And so many times our lives can be blind to the truth of what is our need. We're lying, we're angry, we're cynical. And we don't recognize who we really are. And sometimes it just takes the recognition that God is not there trying to find out what's wrong with you. God knows what's wrong with you. And he is crying out, forgive, forgive, forgive. And he wants to say to you as he did to the thief on the cross, today you can be with me. I want you to be with me. I am reaching for you. I am not pushing you away. My heart is postured to you. The last words of my life, the last moments of my life were about you, caring for you. That is the heart of God. It's interesting in the gospel, it says that he laid down his head. When he said it is finished, he put his head down and he died. He gave up his spirit. And that word for putting down his head is that of resting. It's the same word when Jesus said, the birds have nests, the fox have holes to rest in, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I have no place that I can relax. But then at the cross, his last moments, he rests and says it is finished. How could that happen? How could he find rest there at the end of his life in that place of torture? Have you ever gone to bed and had a hard day of work and it's like your bed is the best place in the world? You lay down and you say, oh, yes. And your legs feel like iron sinking into the bed. And you just, this is good. The day is over. I can go to sleep. But have you ever laid in bed and been totally exhausted, but you cannot go to sleep because something is haunting you? Maybe it's concern. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's something that you've done. And there is no peace. There is no rest. Well, Jesus was able to rest when he took care of what it was necessary so that you and I could be in the presence of God. When he took care of what was necessary to be taken care of so that we could have that relationship with God. When he did that, he said, I'm done. I can rest. The work is over. Until that time, he had no place to lay his head, no rest. But once he accomplished what he needed to do, he could rest. He could rest knowing that he made a way for you and for me to have a relationship with God if we would acknowledge our need for him, acknowledge our need for forgiveness. Jesus said, the healthy don't need a physician. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you're righteous, if you're perfect, you don't need Jesus. But there might come a day where you're not perfect. And in that day, well, Jesus died for you. There might come a day where you realize, yeah, I do have a need. And in that day, Jesus died for you. And so when that day comes and that recognition comes, I want you to know what God loves you and he died for you and that he cares. I want you to know that that was what Stephen wanted you to know in his last words. He wanted them to know there, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I pray that that would be our
life's anthem as well. Let's pray. Father, I, I was wondering as I was reading this and thinking about my week and my reaction and my wanting to complain and justify myself. I, I wondered, what would my reactions be in a situation like this? And God, I so much want to represent you. And I pray that my life would just exhume your forgiveness and your love and your mercy. And I pray for everyone here, Lord. You know each of our hearts and what's truly inside us. And God, that's what you care about. You are desiring to help us in our life, to forgive us because we need it. And Lord, I pray that if there are those here this morning who recognize that what their life is exhuming is not good, what's coming from their life as maybe the pressure is coming on them or, or has come upon them, it's not good. they cry out to you, Lord, I pray you would reach out for them. I want you to know here this morning that God is only a request away. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to join a religion. All you have to do is say, will you remember me and believe and put your faith in Jesus and not in yourself recognize the need that is in your life. It's called sin. It's called evil. It's called a lot of things. What it is, is you are not sufficient in yourself to be with God. And you need, we need His help. And that's what Jesus is about. And so I pray that this morning you would cry out even as the thief and say, remember me. And that you would also let people know that you've made that decision to follow Jesus. To live your life acknowledging His work on your behalf. Father, I do pray for those who are here who would be in this situation. Enlighten their eyes to see, their hearts to understand. May you bring life to them. Even as they talk with their friends or those who may have brought them here this morning. Minister to their hearts, Lord. And God, we all recognize our position and our need for you. There is no one righteous. You didn't come to call righteous, but you reach out for all of us, Lord. I pray that we would respond to your reach and take your hand. And I do ask these things in Jesus' name.